In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... Madam Speaker... Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? You get your vaccine. Vaccine, vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sup Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. And I'm Millie. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics don't know how much laughing we're going to do today, but thankfully we are back with Imani Gandhi. She's the senior editor of Law and Policy at Rewire News Group and the co-host of the outlet's Boom Lawyered podcast with her colleague Jessica Mason Piclo. I mean, my the my genuine curiosity today is how are you doing? I'm eerily calm, which mm-hmm. is probably not a good thing. Like I can feel myself <laughs> no, that starting makes me feel to get uneasy. angrier and angrier. But yeah, I mean, yesterday. I think part of it is, you know, I moved to Colorado and so I'm living in the same town with Jess. So I was able to like have this experience with her in person. And that really made a difference because otherwise for the past several big abortion cases, big abortion moments, you know, we're so far flung from each other. And it's just it's been hard, you know, to sort of go through that alone together. But now we can go through it together together, which makes it actually much more palatable of an experience. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I don't know if I can curse on here, so I'm just going to say we're yes, screwed. You, you we're fucked. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's really no way to to sugarcoat it. Um, but we're not done, right? Like, yeah. like we're we're screwed, but we're not finished. The fight isn't over. Um, there are people who are getting activated on this issue more and more every day. And so it's an opportunity for people like me, people like you, other people who have been really like sort of dialed into repro for a long time to educate all of these new folks who are kind of joining this fight. And I find that exciting because, you know, what Jess and I try to do with our podcast is like bring law to the people to sort of break down these difficult concepts that lawyers lawyers like to make things more complicated than they are because lawyers tend to be pompous jackasses. And so what Jess and I try to do is make sure that the law is not siloed in this like really ultra classist way, right? Where you have, we have our own language and we say our own things and it's very cerebral and people can't understand it. I wanna break those barriers. We've been doing that for four years. So education, talking to people about medication abortion. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things, you know, donating to abortion funds, finding places in your, in your state where there are people doing on the ground work. There are things to be done. The fight's not over. But constitutionally speaking, we're fucked. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize we were at the phase yet where we're, um, we're going to start working on messaging and make sure people know where to get the abortion pill. That was, uh, didn't expect us to end up here in 2022. Yeah, but, but, it, but you know, after yesterday, things feel feel pretty challenging. So I want to get sort of to why. And so our first question is really broad. What are we talking about? The justices seem to be considering whether to move the deadline for an abortion when you can get one to 15 weeks instead of around 23 weeks. 
but they also seem to be considering whether people have a right to abortion at any weeks. So why are we having both of these conversations right now? Uh, well, that's because of the way that the case made its way to the Supreme Court. Uh, Mississippi was really slick, and I'm going to hand it to them. I mean, it's it's devious, but they when they initially filed their cert petition, and that's the petition you file to the Supreme Court where you're asking the court to take this case and look at these issues, they said that they wanted the court to examine Mississippi's 15-week gestational ban under current law, meaning under Planned Parenthood versus Casey and under Roe versus Wade, is this 15-week ban constitutional? Is there always a prohibition on pre-viability abortion bans? And then between the time they filed their cert petition and the time you know, the Supreme Court said, yeah, we'll take a look at that. They took the case. And after they after the court takes the case, both parties file their merits brief. Those are like the big meaty briefs. Um, Got it. So in between Mississippi asking the court to take the case in its cert petition and then filing its merits brief saying these are the issues that we're going to be appearing before you to argue about, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. So by the time the merits brief was filed, they knew that they had a 6-3 majority. They didn't have to mess around with a 5-4 and try and, you know, to, to tweak their arguments to make sure that they can get Roberts on board because Roberts had been the swing vote in the, under the 5-4 regime. They didn't have to do that anymore. So they just said, essentially, we know that we asked you to look at this law, this, you know, ban under current law. But what if we just went ahead and overturned Roe and Casey instead? And the Supreme Court, I expected, as we were going into these arguments, I was talking to my colleague, Jess, and mm -hmm. I was saying, after having read some amicus briefs from some civil procedure professors talking about the fact that Supreme Court litigants are not supposed to change the inquiry in between the time they ask the court to hear the case and the time they file the, the meat and potatoes of what they want to be argued, right? You okay. can't do that. In almost every case where where precedent has been overturned, the litigants will say, hey, SCOTUS, can you please overturn these cases? And then the briefing is about whether or not those cases should be overturned. But we didn't get that here. And so when it came to the briefing and the arguments, we didn't get that full, robust conversation that one would have expected to get when we're talking about overturning Roe versus Wade. I would have expected to hear arguments about how important abortion is to to the livelihoods of women and pregnant people. We heard a little bit of that, certainly from Julie Rickleman in response to questions. But she didn't come out guns blazing about abortion is amazing. And here's why she came out guns blazing on Mississippi's ban is unconstitutional. And here's why. Right. And so the way the case made it to the court is fucked up <laughs> to just be <laughs> blunt about it and then the fact that the supreme court didn't seem to care that it was procedurally a mess the way the case got there really concerns me because generally you know people like john roberts he's ostensibly this institutionalist guy he believes in institutional norms that's why for example he ruled on on the side of um, louisiana in the June Medical Services case, because even though he doesn't like abortion and even though he doesn't like Casey and he made it clear in his concurring opinion in that case that he was ready to do away with Casey, he didn't like the fact that the Fifth Circuit basically looked at this law that was identical to a law that had been struck down by the court five years prior and said, we want a second bite at the apple of this absolutely unconstitutional law. So Roberts wasn't really down with this sort of ignoring of precedent. 
So I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe there's a chance here. He does have some value. He does see some value in the, in the precedent that is Rowan Casey. The arguments yesterday made it clear he doesn't. I mean, he was talking about, you know, the issue is whether or not we're going to erase the viability line, right? The Supreme Court has said in Rowan Casey that a woman or a pregnant person has a constitutional right to an abortion up to the point of fetal viability. Yeah. That's about 23 or 24 weeks. So what we got yesterday was John Roberts, this institutionalist who believes in precedent, saying, is 15 weeks really that different from 24? Can't you just carry the fetus for another nine weeks? It's not that big of a deal. And anyway, what is this viability line? I mean, I looked at Roe versus Wade, and I read Judge, you know, Harry, Justice Harry Blackmun's uh, opinion and his notes, because Blackmun wrote Roe v. Wade, and always expressed some dubiousness about the workability of the viability line. But Roe itself was a balancing act. It was balancing the state against the rights of women, which is fucked up in and of itself. But that's yeah. what Roe did. It was a compromise decision. So while black men may have been concerned about the workability of the viability line, that was what they chose. That's what they decided. And Roberts is trying to make it seem like that's not really what the case was about, that it was just about whether or not women, pregnant people can get abortions just writ large. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. 
The problem with this argument is that Roe itself was a compromise opinion, right? Like mm. you don't balance the rights of pregnant people against the rights of something that cannot survive without the body of the pregnant person, right? That just mm. seems absolutely bizarre to me. And, and particularly, you don't overturn precedent without full briefing on it. And I was very surprised at how much John Roberts seemed okay with that. He doesn't like Casey, and that's clear. He doesn't like Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt. That's clear. Um, one of the things that Mississippi has asked the court to do is to do away with the viability line and to make it so that Casey's undue burden standard, which says that you can't put a substantial obstacle in the place of a person seeking an abortion, and if you do so, it's an undue burden. So I, I got to backtrack a little bit. Part of the, the, the fuckery that Mississippi yeah. has been engaging in is that it's trying to conflate gestational bans with regulations. Regulations are things like trap laws, these laws that require clinics to retrofit themselves as outpatient hospitals, that require doctors to have admitting privileges. These are things that sort of regulate abortion around the edges and certainly make it more difficult to access abortion, but doesn't mm. ban it outright. What Mississippi did was enact a 15-week abortion ban. Mm-hmm. Throughout the course of the litigation, they kept trying to argue, oh, no, it's not a ban. It's just a regulation on the time period during which you can get an abortion. We're not banning abortion. You can still get one prior to 15 weeks, but you just can't get one after 15 weeks, which means it's a ban on abortion for people seeking an abortion after 15 weeks. It's not a regulation on time period. But they were able to sort of muddy the waters to such an extent now that they are asking the court, and the court very well may do this, they're asking the court to extend this undue burden standard beyond regulations. When it comes to regulations, a regulation cannot be an undue burden. In the 2016 case, Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstedt, the court said that Texas's trap laws were an undue burden. They did not have any, um, they had nothing to do with the, the health and safety of women, which is what they kept saying, and therefore, they were just nonsense. Like, why are you enacting laws that have no effect on the thing you're trying to fix? And in fact, is actually hurting the thing that you say you're trying to fix. You know, Ginsburg, in her opinion, her concurring opinion said, we're not doing this shit anymore, right? We're not letting <laughs> you states pass these laws, talk about in the media, oh yeah, we're trying to ban abortion. But then on the legislative floor, you're talking about, oh, we're trying to help women. You know, you, you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth anymore. But here's why you don't need an undue burden standard for bans. Because under current law, pre-viability abortion bans are unconstitutional. Under current law, any ban prior to about 23 or 24 weeks is flatly unconstitutional. It's inherently an undue burden under Casey. So there's no reason for the court to engage in an undue burden analysis when it's dealing with a law that the court has already said is an undue burden, right? Like that just makes sense. But Mississippi has been gumming up the works and the court has been letting it because there's no rule of law left when it comes to the Supreme Court. There's no there's no sharing of ideas, diversity of opinion. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, talking like the, the great thing about the Supreme Court or what the Supreme Court is supposed to be is that it's this august institution populated with brilliant jurists who come from different sides of the spectrum, may have different points of view, but they all believe in the Constitution, they believe in the rule of law, and they believe in trying to make 
to, 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 to make arguments or to issue decisions that are grounded in law. And along those lines, if you're going to ground something in law, that means looking at precedent, looking at what your predecessors on the bench did and adhering to that unless it's egregiously wrong. And during the arguments, we heard a lot of, of the justices talking about which cases can be deemed egregiously wrong. And you heard Sam Alito say something like, well, right. would you say today that if Plessy versus Ferguson was enacted today, that a year later it would be inappropriate for the court to overturn it? And Rickleman, Julie Rickleman, arguing for, for the Jackson Women's Health Organization, she's from Center for Reproductive Rights, said, no, because separate but equal is wrong. What you are trying right. to do is you're trying to liken black and white people sitting separately in a train car to pregnant people taking control of their reproduction. That's a weird comparison to make, right? Yeah. But they love to do that. They love to drag up cases that have to do with racial injustice because they see abortion or they have been trying. They don't see it that way. They have been couching abortion as a racial justice issue in order and I hate to use the term as it's been bastardized by white people, but in order to see more woke, right? Like if they're able to say, we are so concerned about the rate of abortion in the black community, <laughs> and we're really concerned that, you know, the most dangerous place for a black child is in the womb. And we're very concerned that black women are unwittingly and stupidly participating in this genocide of their own people because they're being targeted by big abortion and they're too stupid to know what's good for them. I mean, that's the message that they're sending. And that's why they drag up cases like Plessy, cases like Dred Scott, because those are racial justice cases that the court later admitted they fucked up on. Mm -hmm. And so what these anti-choicers want to do is to ground abortion as an evil akin to slavery and then say to the court, are you going to let this sort of modern day slavery continue? Never mind the fact no. that the slavery is really reverse, right? Like forcing a person to carry a child. That's forced labor, right? Like we have more dangerous than abortion. And in Mississippi, 75 that's times. Just, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, that's for black women too. Yeah. For black women, it's even more dangerous. I mean, it's, it's unconscionable and particularly what's unconscionable, you know, and I, I honestly, I was talking about safe haven laws, and I don't remember if it was you or with someone I did a minute with prior. <laughs> I've been doing them all day. But, you know, when Amy Coney Barrett was talking about safe haven laws, and these are laws that allow a person to terminate their parental rights by giving up their baby, you know, drop your, your, drop your baby off at the firehouse and the nice hunky fire firemen and whatever will take <laughs> care of it. I mean, this is this sort of like old 1950s style of like, oh, these these tarnished women, they have to just like... It's 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 ridiculous. But yeah, they have we have these safe haven laws that allow you to terminate parental rights without fear of prosecution for child abandonment, child neglect, what have you. And so Amy Coney Barrett actually said out loud that the fact that we have these safe haven laws means that it is not that big of a deal for a woman to have to carry a pregnancy to term. It's not really going to affect her career or her livelihood because, hey, she can just give that child up for adoption. And let Terrible. me it's so John Roberts horrible. is like, you know what? You can just do it for a couple more weeks. And she's taking it a step farther. Like, no, 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 you can just do it all the way and then just drop it off somewhere. Nine more weeks is no big deal. But here's why that's particularly diabolical. One is that she's coming at it from a feminist point of view, what she thinks is a feminist point of view. And two, she's coming at it from the position of a white woman who has dark skinned black children, right? The main argument that, so let me talk about the first one, this feminist issue. 
Amy Coney Barrett, I will be not surprised if she's the one that writes this opinion because she can write this opinion and make it seem like she's writing it from a feminist point of view. And so when she was talking about these safe haven laws, she was talk she was responding to Julie Rickleman's data points about how abortion helps women, how forcing women to give birth, forcing pregnant people to give birth sinks them into poverty, right? It makes it more difficult for them to care for the children that they already have, even if you're giving up for adoption. That's 10 months of you carrying a pregnancy around that makes it difficult for you to care for the children that you already have. Mm-hmm. That makes it difficult maybe for you to go to work because we still don't have adequate pregnancy discrimination protections that's going to make it that's going to burn your pocketbook right because it's Mm -hmm. not free to give birth it costs money to give birth a lot of money and if you are not careful during your pregnancy about making sure you go to the doctor and do all the right things you could find yourself in jail for for having a bad pregnancy outcome so this is really serious stuff that Amy Coney Barrett thinks is just no big deal. But she's going to write about it from a feminist point of view. You can still have a career, ladies. Just pop out that baby and drop it off at the police station, right? Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two, the fact, one of the main things that I always say when people say, oh, just adopt, is that there's not a large market for black babies. There's just not. Um, And I told this anecdote on my podcast, but I just found out recently my parents were in town and we were talking about adoption. I was adopted when I was three months, three months old. And they told me that they had the choice between me and a dark and a lighter skinned child. And I'm not particularly dark skinned as it is, but they had a choice mm-hmm. between me and like a light skinned baby. And they chose me specifically because they knew that black, dark, black skinned babies don't get adopted as much. Mm-hmm. And that's a reality that persists today. It's a reality when it comes to adopting animals. Black mm-hmm. dogs are more discriminated against. Black cats are right. Like racism mm-hmm. runs so deep that it extends to pets. So <laughs> this idea that you can just drop off a kid and it's going, you know, and the, the people who are going to feel like they need to avail themselves of these safe haven laws are going to be low income people. They're going to be black and brown people. They're going to be people who are already viewed as bad mothers. So these these people are supposed to carry a pregnancy to term, drop it off at a, you know, a baby be gone station. And and that's supposed to be the solution. It's absolutely yeah, her body just just magically heals up entirely. (laughs) Right. And then she tried to make some crack about vaccines. She's like, and yes, sometimes, you know, you don't have bodily autonomy, as is the case with vaccines. And it's yesterday seemed kind of crazy. (laughs) It was 100 percent crazy because we were having a full hearing on overturning Roe versus Wade without really having a full hearing on that issue. Right. We didn't hear we had a some data points from Julie Rickleman about how key abortion is. And we had Stephen Breyer screaming about how everyone needed to read those 15 pages in Casey where the court basically went through all of the shit that Brett Kavanaugh seemed to have no clue ever happened. It's a bad situation. It was, it went worse than I thought it was going to <laughs> somehow. And it's, and it's already so bad. So I don't know how that happens. Thank you so much for explaining. I feel like I learned so much and wow, like this is crazy. But I have a question for you, Imani. Sure. Is there any reason to reconsider whether the Constitution protects women's liberty and therefore abortion rights at this moment, other than the fact that the court has now six conservative justices? I mean, that's that's it. The fact that 
I mean, I wrote an article in 2018 about the Mississippi case, about right when it was filed and introduced and the lawsuit was just filed and it was struck down in district court, struck down in the Fifth Circuit. I said no court in the country has ever held a ban like this to be constitutional. They're flatly unconstitutional. And I remember ending the article with something like, so unless something changes in the next three years and Trump is able to stack the courts, abortion will continue to remain legal and pre-viability abortion bans will, will remain unconstitutional. What happened in the ensuing three years? Trump got Barrett and Kavanaugh, and that was all he needed. I wrote mm-hmm. this after, after, yeah, at, at any rate. So, I mean, he basically stacked the courts, as he said he was going to do, as Republicans have said they were going to do for literally 48 years, stacked the court with anti-choice judges, judges who were installed to do the thing that they're going to do. And then you have people like Brett Kavanaugh yesterday in these arguments who had the nerve to say, well, the Supreme Court is neither pro-choice nor pro-life. You know, it's we're neutral. And it's like you were put on the court to end abortion, as were three of your colleagues and as were the three before you who were installed in 2005 and what have you. What do you mean the Supreme Court is neutral? You are absolutely not neutral. Otherwise, abortion would not be a litmus test at your confirmation hearing. Yes. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had to say at your confirmation hearing, Brett, that, oh, I believe Roe was well-settled precedent. And Roberts wouldn't have had to say during his confirmation hearing in 2005, oh, I just call balls and strikes. I don't make law. They are making law. They are making Mm. law from the bench when it comes to abortion law because they have carved out a constitutional exception for abortion and are just they're just handling it differently than they would handle anything else. And they're only doing it now because Amy Coney Barrett's on the bench. The questions that they were sort of working through aloud yesterday were like, it's we already decided that you have to weigh the unborn child right. with the woman and we decided the woman deserves liberty what are you why are we going through this again i also well, thought I mean, that I mean, they they gonna, really i'm sorry go ahead well i was going to say that mississippi i thought that mississippi was trying to claim we want 15 weeks because actually maybe it could be viable but it seemed like the justices yesterday weren't even bothering with that they were just like sure oh, let's no. just talk about 15 weeks for the heck of it why not Right. I mean, viability is they're they're done with viability. I mean, they're going to erase viability. What they do afterwards is unclear. I think they're going to extend the undue burden standard, but they could just they could just completely overturn Roe and Casey and just throw the whole thing back to the states. It's going to be one or the other. Either way, it's terrible. And you're absolutely right. I mean, Mississippi conceded that a 15 week fetus is not viable. They conceded that under current law. Pre-viability abortion bans are unconstitutional. That should have been the end of the discussion, but it wasn't, right? Because in the interim, the makeup of the court changed, and now they know they have the votes, and the court has just become lawless, essentially. Ugh, brutal. So we let our audience know you were coming back, and they had a lot of questions. A lot of their questions kind of broke my heart. They were surprising. We heard from a lot of people who are family planning, and they want to have babies. Like, they're actively trying to have a child. But they're really scared about what ap- options they're going to have if their pregnancies become dangerous for them or their child or just it becomes something that they're not willing to handle. We got that question a lot. And this is already impacting people in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Texas has been functionally um, an abortion. I mean, Texas has been an abortion desert for a while. But as of September 1st, uh, there are no abortions happening in Texas. No legal abortions happening in Texas beyond six weeks. That's just... 
It's not happening. There's Roe has been nullified in that state. In terms of um, what people who are looking to, to plan families can do, if you have the money and you are wealthy enough, you can always go to another state. If you don't have the money, there are abortion funds that are, I mean, there are abortion funds around the country, almost in every state, every state hostile to abortion, that will help people get to abortions. And it's really incumbent upon all the rest of us to take all of the money that we can spare and funnel it into these funds because it's going to become increasingly necessary to help people seek abortion care once it becomes criminalized. Um, As for seeking abortion care under a criminalization regime, medication abortion is safe, medically speaking. People use it all the time. There are plenty of resources you can Google where they will tell you what your options are in terms of accessing medication abortion Mm -hmm. legally. And in some cases, you know, Texas's medication abortion ban, I think, is going into effect tomorrow. So that means they're I mean, they're just really putting the squeeze to pregnant people in Texas. And they're trying, you know, they're testing a lot of terrible shit there that is then spreading throughout the country. Right. The SB8 bizarre bounty hunter regime has already been introduced in Florida, already been introduced in Ohio. I mean, it's Texas is ground zero for a lot of bad things. Um, But medication abortion is a solution. And frankly, you know, I don't I don't know how to make your listeners feel better when it comes to that. <laughs> a lot of them I ask really that question, don't. how do I feel more hopeful? But I didn't want to burden you uh, with that question. I mean, the only like the, the hope that I find in it is that there are people who are now more aware of what's going on. And the more we mm-hmm. educate ourselves about what's going on, the more we'll be able to tackle it. The more we'll be able to organize on a grassroots level, on an electoral <laughs> level. <laughs> yeah, mom. <laughs> It's going to take, you know, it's going to take a village, not to, to, to quote the woman who could have stopped all of this if she'd been elected. Yeah. Like, oh, God. Oh my I know. God. I mean, Ugh. it's just when I think about 2016 and what a clusterfuck it was and how literally the only thing that we needed was for Hillary Clinton to win that election. We would not be here if she had won. Yeah. Well, I was and talking to somebody today where upset. suddenly now I'm hearing like mainstream Democrats say forced birth. I would have loved to have heard that or had that energy around 2015. Yeah, honestly, it's just, and, there, and and part of what's really frustrating is I understand that this is a really critical moment. We are in a crisis. And one of the things that people do when they're faced with a crisis is they deny the thing that's happening is happening, right? So I'm getting a lot of people who are saying, okay, fine, the Supreme Court might uphold the Mississippi law, but they're not going to overturn Roe. It is not possible to uphold the Mississippi law without overturning Roe. That's simply not possible. Roe isn't just a case that says, hey, ladies, get abortions. It's fine up until a point. There's actually specific constitutional precepts in Roe, one of them being that women have the absolute right to get an abortion up until the point of fetal viability, and then afterwards the state's interests kick in. But during that time period where they have that absolute right, States can impose restrictions. They could make you jump through a bunch of hoops, waiting periods, forced ultrasounds and the like, but they can't outright ban abortion. We've had that conversation. The court has had that conversation. Why are we having that conversation again? Because the court makeup has changed. Yeah. Yeah. Millie, do you want to grab one more of these uh, audience questions? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is my question too, is could Congress do anything about this? Like, 
is there anything that can be done about what's going on, I guess, is like the more general question. Have you met this Congress? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, yes. Theoretically, Congress could do something. And in, in a perfect world, Democrats would nuke the filibuster, which would enable all of the black and brown and young people and the old folks who vote Democrats who are being systematically disenfranchised. It will allow them to vote. And yeah, at the state level, true. they can vote in representatives so that they can undo all the gerrymandering at the state level. Right. Yep. And that means that they'll be that. that and that obviously affects federal elections. Right. And mm-hmm. voter suppression obviously affects federal elections and local elections. I mean, We are being voter suppressed and gerrymandered out of our right to vote. And so Mm -hmm. I keep seeing, you know, Democratic politicians talking about how. how, Hang on, buddy. Do you mind? (laughs) I keep hearing. Yeah, I keep hearing Democratic politicians talking about, you know, the way that we got to fight back and save abortion rights is at the ballot box. Bitch, how? Like, really, how? We're not. They're not allowing us to vote. And so all Mm -hmm. I hear is that, hey, black folks who have been keeping this party together for decades, we need you to try harder. But there's no trying harder. Stacey Abrams tried as hard as she fucking could and couldn't Mm -hmm. get it done because Brian Kemp stole the election from her. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you can't vote harder in the face of voter suppression. That's not the answer. So. Yeah, I don't I, I need really the, the issue is, is that we need Democrats to nuke the filibuster. If they nuke the filibuster, people can vote. If people can vote, they can vote in representatives who represent their interests. That means women and other people who are pregnant, capable of being, being pregnant, care about pregnant people can vote in legislators who will protect reproductive rights. It's not impossible. Right. In Virginia. I mean, we just Democrats just lost Virginia. But when McAuliffe won in what was it, 2016, 17-ish? The first thing that, de- that Democrats did when they took over the, the, the legislative body in Virginia was undo a bunch of mm-hmm. shitty abortion restrictions, yeah. undo the waiting period, undo the forced mm-hmm. ultrasound. So it is possible, but it requires fairness in the electoral process. And there, mm-hmm. that just doesn't exist right now. So yeah. It's just so interesting because like yesterday, I can't remember what justice tried to make an argument that it's like it could be undemocratic for the court to make the, to like take that responsibility for the states. When you look, it's like actually 70 percent of Americans or late 60s support this. My final question for both of you, it's a lighter one. I want you both to answer. If you could give Brett Kavanaugh a gift for Christmas that he was legally bound to keep in his home in plain view for the rest of his life, what would it be? God, <laughs> what would you make him stare at forever? I was going to say Christine Blasey Ford's face. Yeah. Because <laughs> honestly, he doesn't belong in this court. Not only does he not belong in the court because there was not an adequate investigation into her allegations, he doesn't belong on the court because the Trump administration withheld so many documents. Mm-hmm. So when Democrats were doing confirmation hearings, at the time I remember screaming, walk out, walk out until they give you wow, all of yeah. the documents. And people are like, no, no, they can't walk out because if they walk out, then they won't have a vote, blah, blah, blah. And I remember saying at the time, in three years, you're not even going to remember why it is I was telling people to walk out. You're not going to remember why it is he's an illegitimate justice. It's not just because of Blasey Ford. It's because we didn't get a full record. And it's three years later. And I Who paid his credit card debt? Who paid his freaking credit card debt? And it's three years later. And now Brett Kavanaugh, people are looking at him like, well, he might be a fifth vote to save Roe. Are you fucking high? What are you talking about? (laughs) Oh, God. Absolutely not. He's absolutely not. I think I would get like a huge, the huge picture of him crying. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yes. 
it like like huge though and then put yes. it in his house that he has to see every day blasting yeah. forward on one side and him crying on the other you know what? side i'm gonna it. add a third and i'm gonna do the kamala harris where she's like really look, yeah. looking at him yeah yeah like yeah. giving him oh, a stare down he can have a gallery wall that he's forced to look at for the rest of his life absolutely absolutely oh uh, yeah Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us for the information. Um, I was racing to go listen to your podcast uh, yesterday. So you guys, how often do you record your podcast? Is it weekly? Is it in response to big things? How, how are you going to cover this moving forward? Um, we cover it's weekly. We drop podcasts on Mondays and then except sometimes except for when there's a big week like this week. I don't, we're not doing a podcast on Monday because right. this week was crazy. Yeah. But um, when there are reactions to things, we do reaction podcasts. So Weekly on Mondays, but then also intermittently when shit goes sideways. <laughs> yeah. And should we, when should we expect to hear anything from the court on either the Texas one or the Mississippi one? Are we think, not thinking until June or should, could it be any time? I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with Texas. I mean, the Texas case came up on an emergency on the, on the rocket docket, essentially. So they could really rule on that any time. But the Got issue it. with that at that first hearing, the one that happened in November 1st, was just the enforcement mechanism. So they didn't really touch too much on the actual meat and potatoes of abortion rights. Um, so I don't know when that. No idea. Mm -hmm. The Dobbs case is going to be the last day of the term in oh. June. So I looked at the calendar. I'm going to be either June 24th or July 1st, probably June 24th. Okay. And it's gonna be I a hope they just opinion. let us have Pride Month. <laughs> let us have Pride Month, a full Pride Month. <laughs> I mean, it's a Ugh, mess. We will it's, be bracing it's, it's for that. A mess. It's a mess. Yeah. And we will uh, probably be asking you questions. Thank you so much, as always, for your time. I'm always so relieved. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Millie Tamaris. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.